when we proclaim power, God responds. When we proclaim truth, God responds in power, is what I'm going to say. Proclaim the truth, right? We're just saying what's true. We're just declaring it with our mouths, confessing with our mouths. In 2002, Ben Affleck and uh, Samuel L. Jackson released a great film called Changing Lanes. You remember it? That was a thriller, wasn't it? Ben Affleck, kind of the rich lawyer on his way to the courthouse to file some kind of petition so his people could make more money. Samuel L. Jackson on the way to the same courthouse, different courtroom, to try to demonstrate that as a recovering alcoholic, he finally got his act together enough so that the judge wouldn't send his ex-wife or his children off to Oregon. And so two guys go into the same place for different reasons. In the traffic, they, they actually collide. I'm pretty sure that Affleck is kind of distracted because he's like working on the case or something while he's driving in this traffic. Boom, they collide, they stop. They exchange information in the midst of this busy traffic. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson, he's trying to exchange insurance information and stuff, but Affleck says, I don't have time for that. He gives him a blank check, and and Jackson is like, no, I'm trying to do everything right in my life. Don't do this. He says, kind of good luck. He gets in the car. Affleck drives away, leaving, leaving Jackson standing there in the middle of the traffic. you remember it? And from that exchange, from that boom, their lives were intertwined. It does have a redemptive ending. Uh, Spoiler alert, it's got a great ending, but it'll hold you on the edge of your seat on the way there. Hold on to that. Father, we invite you to come now in the power of the Holy Spirit, (laughs) as though you haven't. That's sort of a funny thing to say to you, Lord. Uh, You just came. You are here. So we... We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you're already doing. We thank you for what we anticipate you will do because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are on Through the Bible, stop number 36, the last book of the Old Testament. Thank you, Marie. Chester and Marie have been with me for more than 20 years and know that I seldom finish the things I begin, and so that means a lot coming from you guys. I feel like that feeling that my son who was playing guitar up here a little while ago, Brian and I had as we crossed the, the, the finish line for the marathon that we ran. It's a great, great feeling. I kind of feel that way, having made it all the way to the end of the Old Testament here, one book at a time. Today we're actually uh, completing a journey, the Old Testament-wise, that we began on February 8th, 2015. I know! So two years and two weeks ago, we started taught, making our way through the Bible, Genesis in the beginning. And God's blessed us, hasn't he? We've taken some other routes. So, you know, We've gone some different directions along the way as the Lord has led. I'm going to finish up with the book of Malachi today, and then I'm going to take a break And then when I come back the following Sunday, what's going to happen is I'm going to start a seven-week series uh, called The Elephants in the Room. And what I want to do, I've been praying through this, and as we move up toward Easter, I I want us to take some time and ask some of the questions that kind of linger around Christianity that are elephants in the room. And it will admittedly be a little more left-brain stuff, a little more analytical I'm a right brain guy, you know, the side that just likes to think and create and enjoy music. You know, I have to kind of intentionally visit my left brain. Uh, <laughs> I have to. Some of you are left brain people, and you've been tolerating 
uh, all this other stuff for a long time. And so you guys are saying, you know, tell, give me some information. Give me some evidence. Give, talk to me analytically. And that's what I would love to do for about seven weeks. Questions such as, how can we know for certain that the account of Jesus in the Bible is reliable? How can we know that? Is there evidence? Why, why won't God accept people of all other religions as long as they're sincere? Can we just talk about? I mean, that's a good question, right? I mean, isn't God nice? What's going on? Uh, what about the people who have never heard the gospel? How many of you have wondered about that? Yeah? Well, that'll be one of the weeks. How about if God is all-powerful, then why does he allow Satan to exist? Like, do us a favor already, right? Why do we keep praying for healing when it seems like only a small number of the people we pray for are actually healed? Now, that's a fair question, right? There's actually an answer, okay? If Jesus died for the forgiveness of all my sins, why does it matter how I live? Right? Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) We'll talk about that one. And then, as you may have guessed, by Easter Sunday, how can we possibly believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, is there actual factual evidence that we could consider that would talk to the other side of our brain as well? Okay? So those are the seven elephants in the room that I feel led to point out over those coming weeks. Uh, That's my plan. But as you know that the only thing permanent with me is change. Perfect. All right. So today, the book of Malachi, stop number 36 on our Through the Bible here, and we'll start with context. What is this book of Malachi? It's the last book of the Old Testament. What is it? Malachi, the the word, the name, means my messenger. My messenger. Now, interestingly, Malachi is the only name of any of the prophets that doesn't include the word or the name of God in it somewhere, right? So you know how we've noticed like Jeremiah, wherever there's a Yah, that means Yahweh, or Elijah, Elohim, that kind of thing. We've noticed that in every prophet's name, that somewhere it's had something to do with God, like God is my Lord or whatever, you know? And in this case, it's the only prophet who just says, he's my messenger, He's my messenger. He spoke around 420 B.C. So he is the youngest of all the Old Testament writers. The last in the dating, 420 B.C. This was after the exile. Remember, we've been all over this about about the people of God being carried off into Babylon for exile. Well, then they came back and we looked at Haggai and Zechariah and how they were post-exile prophets. So is Malachi. He's a post-exile prophet. But at 420 B.C., it's like 100 years after they've dedicated the temple. The temple, the new one that Nehemiah built, remember Ezra and Nehemiah coming back? The new one was dedicated in 519 B.C. So this is like 100 years later. And you know, when you read through Malachi, you can see that the people are already starting to cool off that they came back from captivity going, you were right, we were wrong, we'll never go astray again, and that their memories were short. A hundred years later, some of Malachi's words are pretty stern compared to what we saw in Haggai and Zechariah, who were like, hey, we're all back, isn't this great, right? So just a heads up on that. It's called an oracle, which if you look in Malachi chapter 1, the first two words of the whole book, it says, an oracle. What is an oracle, Tom, you ask? 
That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. An oracle is a message from God that is usually a response to some specific questions that have been asked of God. So people would go to a prophet and then say, hey, could you ask God about this? And so the book of Malachi has a lot of questions in it, but it's centered around four main questions, which makes it an oracle. And the questions such as, how have you loved us? They, they ask God, how have you loved us? And we're going we're to unpack that one a bit in a bit. A second one was, how have we shown contempt for your name? One of the charges that Malachi brought against the people after they had returned is that even though the temple sacrifices were started back up, they were bringing the defiled offerings to God. So they would bring the blemished offerings. They would bring the calves that weren't going to live anyway. Quick, this one's dying. Get it down to the temple, sacrifice it, because it's not going to make it anyway, and it will count as our sacrifice. You feeling that? That, would, that did not go over well with the Lord at all. And so, so he said, you're showing contempt for my name by being, bringing blemished sacrifices, blemished offerings. And uh, they said, when they, you know, they made the mistake asking, how have we shown contempt for your name? Um, there's one point in which God says, okay, now that you're back, I want you to return to me. I want you to come to me. Return to me. And their question, one of the four questions is, how do we do that? How are we to return? What, what do we need to do in order to return to that place of favor and relationship with you And then the last question they asked, because God accused the people of robbing him, they said, how have we robbed you? So these four questions are questions that make up the substance of the oracle. Okay? That's why it's called an oracle. These are the last words of the Old Testament. This is the final deal here before Jesus. These are the very last words. And when Malachi closes, in the last words of Malachi, it starts a 400-year period of silence. There's 400 years between when Malachi said what he said and the arrival of Jesus. That's a long time, isn't it? That is a long time, 400 years. But as we saw earlier, as we looked at these last three prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, They create, don't they, a kind of an on-ramp in that 400 years to the New Testament. They they just get us ready for this amazing thing that happens that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, comes into the world, lives, gives his life, and rises from the dead. And uh, so it's an on-ramp. That's the context. The hot spot for today, if you want to turn your Bibles, is really Malachi 1, verses 2 and 3. Some of you were really expecting it to be Malachi 3, and I was going to do the tithing thing. But hang on, we'll get to that, all right? In Malachi chapter 1, most interesting thing happens in this conversation between the people and God. In verse 2, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. I've loved you. But you ask, How have you loved us? Here's God's answer. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. That's harsh. 
He said, didn't Jacob have a brother named Esau? And he said, I've loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Is that a little hard for you to hear from God? Isn't it a little hard to kind of get your head around? How could, how could God hate anyone, right? That's, don't you kind of want the nice God? Sounds mean, doesn't it? Jacob I have loved. Esau, his brother, I have hated. And this is his explanation of how he's loved them. What can this possibly mean, right? This goes back to the story of two twin brothers named Jacob and Esau, right? Born to Isaac and Rebekah, back in Genesis chapter 25. And these two sons were born, twins, and they were fighting from the beginning. They were fighting from the beginning. So that Esau was born first, but Jacob was not to be defeated, and so he grabbed hold of the kid's ankle to get out. So that the time of birth would have been the same. I'm here too, Mom. And this is the struggle. And it started a struggle between these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, that continued in their whole life. One was a hunter, and one liked to hang around the camp. Esau sold his birthright to his brother because he was hungry. It was tough. You think you had trouble with your brother? This was tough. It was not unlike Cain and Abel. It was tough, these two guys. And it says here that of the two, because remember, God was making for himself a people from Abraham, right? A line of people. Abraham, Isaac. Now, wait a minute. Isaac had a brother, didn't he? What was his name? Ishmael. And yet, for reasons which are clear when you read the Bible, God chose Isaac over Ishmael. He chose Isaac, and he didn't choose Ishmael. Hold on to that. Now, Isaac has two kids, Jacob and Esau, and he chooses one and doesn't choose the other. He chooses Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, who had the sons who became the heads of the families of Israel. So in this lineage, God makes choices. He chose Isaac over Ishmael, and now he chose Jacob over Esau. Now, did he have to say it so harshly, though, that Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated? This was an idiom. This was a, a Hebrew idiom. What's an idiom, you ask? An idiom are those phrases that every culture has that only makes sense to them. That they mean something other than exactly what the words say. Like, I smell a rat. You don't really smell a rat, right? You just, what, are you, what are you saying? 
something ain't right here, right? I smell a rat, right? That's an idiom. You ever been in an argument with somebody and say, don't go postal on me? <laughs> what, are they going to mail you a letter? What, what, do we, what do we mean? We, we know that because of certain incidents years ago where there was violence among postal workers that that was sadly attached to somebody who's getting all upset, right? These are idioms. How many of you have texted somebody and say, hey, we're thinking, we're going out, thinking about going out to listen to some music tonight. Hit me back if you want to come. And I do that. I use that phrase, hey, hit me back if. Anybody, anybody use that or is it just me? Jeff and I use that. It's really not a popular idiom, I guess, but we, we really don't mean hit us, right? It means reply. It's, it's an idiom. It's something that only means something to us. Now, prepare to gasp, but there is no such thing as the Buckeye Nation. It's not a real country. Blasphemy, you say. I was warned after the first service that if eventually I'm going to talk about tithing, don't say anything about the Buckeyes. The Buckeye Nation doesn't refer to an actual geopolitical entity, does it? It refers to this hysterical fan base, right? It's an idiom. It's a simple idiom. The love-hate phrase used in the book of Malachi was an idiom. Technically, it means to select and not select. To select one over the other. To select this one and not that one. It's like, I love corn, but I hate lima beans. I hate lima beans. I'm telling you something right now. Lima beans should not be a food. Why you would make food out of crayons, I don't know. But I hate lima beans. On the other hand, I love corn. I love some corn with butter on it. I love corn on the cob. I love it so... Actually, I don't think it's the corn that I love. I just think it's a great delivery mechanism for butter and salt, you know, and no one, no one judges you, do they, when you're eating, I love, I love me some corn, but I hate lima beans, I choose corn, I do not choose lima beans, now, I don't really have any emotional investment in either of them, right, I don't like hate, hate them, like, oh, I'm going to kill you, lima beans. Eradicate you from the face of the earth. There's nothing like that. It's whether I choose it or not. That's what this idiom was. It's, what do you choose? It was Jacob beloved. He chose. Esau he hated. It was an idiom. Jesus employed the same device in Luke 14, 26. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, 
such a person cannot be my disciple. Is he really calling us to hate our families to follow him? It's the idiom. It's the idiom that at the end of the day, discipleship requires us to choose Jesus over anything else. The most treasured the most treasured thing that Jesus could use, and that was even our own families. He's not calling us to hate our parents. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? Well, what's one of the laws? Honor your father and mother. So he's not calling. It's an idiom. It's you must select me over everything else. Jacob I have loved. Jacob I have chosen. Esau I have hated. What's the deal on that? Well, Jacob became Israel. The line continued through Jacob. Esau became the Edomites. It was the Edomites that descended from the line of Esau, and the Edomites were even known to lend aid to the enemies of Israel so that they could be fought against. So they were effectively enemies of Israel, enemies of Jacob. In Romans chapter 9, verse 13 here, you see Paul is, that's another series I don't know if I'll ever finish. (laughs) Many years ago I started actually a series on the book of Romans. I made it through the first eight chapters and found out that nine, it starts to get really hard. Probably won't finish it. So in uh, Romans chapter 9, Paul is talking about how Israel was chosen by God. That he chose Israel, the line of Israel, to bring Christ into the world. And he talks about that. And then in verse 13, he says, Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. And so he quotes Malachi. He employs what would have been a well-known idiom at the time. And he he goes on to say, yes, it's true that Israel was God's initial choice. But now that Jesus Christ has come into the world, there are still two lanes. There are still just two lanes, but it's it's not in the same way Jews and Gentiles. But the two lanes are those who are saved through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and those who are not. So that this this salvation was now open to the Gentiles, which becomes particularly good news for us, right? (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So this is what's going on here in Malachi about loving and hating. And I I guess what what I feel like the Lord wants in terms of our response, our thoughts about him, is forget about Jacob and Esau in that way for a minute and just realize that there are two lanes. You could talk about these two lanes in different ways. There are those who are saved, those who are unsaved. There are those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives, those who have rejected Christ. These are two very different realities. There are two lanes. One is One is Jacob's lane, because Jacob, Israel, eventually Christ, through Christ, us, as believers, right? 
This is Jacob's lane. This is the lane of blessing. And then there's Esau's lane. Those who stiff-arm Christ. Those who reject Christ. Those who say, no, I don't believe. No, I won't bow. They're in this lane. They're in Esau's lane. It's not a blessed lane. If you look at Mal- back in Malachi, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. That's not the lane you want to be in. Edom may say, Edom, remember the Edomites, so Esau may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. That's what the guy over in this lane does. I don't need that. I'm tougher than that. I can get through this. Though I'm crushed over here, I'll rebuild. God. Well, look at what happens next. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They'll be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. This is not a good lane. The Bible says in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end it leads to death. And the big problems with Esau's lane, it ends. Eternal life is in Jacob's lane. That's the, where the blessing is. That's where we live, under the very blessing of God. The whole book of Malachi is in different ways just differentiating between these two realities, whether you're in Jacob's lane or Esau's lane. Even when we get to Malachi chapter 3, the long-awaited teaching on tithing. In Malachi chapter 3, here's what, here's what it says. God says, return to me. In other words, he says, come into this lane. Come into the lane of blessing. Come into this lane. For us, it means come into this lane through Jesus Christ. Come in through faith in his name. Live in this lane. He says, return to me. He says, if you find yourself over in that lane, come back. Come come over here. Maybe you've never been in this lane before. He's still saying, return to me. He's still saying, come to me. Come to me in this lane. This is the lane of blessing. This is the lane of eternal life. This is the lane of the Spirit of God. This one isn't. You can work as hard as you want in this lane. You will wear yourself out but it won't produce because it's part of the fallen world. Over here, this is a part of the redemption. This is a part of what Jesus Christ died on the cross to redeem. Over here, he says, return to me. And they asked him, how how do we do that? They said, how can we go from that lane to this lane? And he said, by way of example, I believe, he said, stop robbing me. Stop robbing me. Stop stealing from me. You can read it there. And they ask the question, how have we robbed you? How, how have we robbed you? And he says, here's how you have robbed me. In tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. You don't bring what I require. Now, if the word tithe is a new word for you, I hope it is. I hope there are believers who are just reading the Bible for the first time. You go, what's that? Tithe is the Hebrew word for tenth, meaning 10%. And the teaching of the Old Testament is very clear that 
by God's blessing, we make an earning, we make a living. And when we take 100% of what it is that we have, the Bible teaches that 10% belongs to the Lord. And that it's to come back to the work of the Lord. 10%. I love it that the math is so simple, don't you? It's not 8%. You just move the decimal point. You don't even have to be good at math. You just move it over. That's the tithe. That's what we bring to the work of the Lord. That's what makes this in so many ways happen is your response to God's call. This place is such a generous place. I just want to just pause, hit the pause on teaching just to thank those of you who tithe. Because we, I talk about this one teaching a year and sometimes I forget to do that. And yet you guys are so generous with your tithing. We don't stand up here and say, well, we better dig deeper because the electric bills. You've been in those places, haven't you? We don't do that. We pass around these little 69-cent baskets and from your tithe receive a million dollars a year. What does that do? Well, first of all, we give at least 10% of it away because the church tithes. It's often closer to 20% that we give away. People in Columbus, people around the world. Beyond that, we got lights to pay. We got, I was going to say we have a mortgage to pay. (laughs) But in three more months, we will no longer have a mortgage to pay. Three months. And as long as I'm sitting in the big chair, you never will have another mortgage to pay. we do that? We pay staff. We have a staff of, I don't know how many are our staff, 12 part and full-time people. We pay professional salaries, average salaries for what's made in other churches doing the same thing. And we buy children's ministry stuff and buy guitar strings and, you know, the stuff you got to have to do this all the time. That's what we do. But it starts by the church tithing. I think that's part of why we've never had a deal with that here. We've never had a big, come on, people, dig in. We live by the, by the thought that God always pays for what he orders. And so we don't do the step out on a limb faith thing and try to drag the people along. If the money's not there, we don't do it. If it is, we do. Simple, eh? So I want to thank those of you guys who just do this. Because tithing, it's a really hard thing to get started at. But it's easy once you're going, right? It's like, I I would not do this now because there's such a cool blessing. There is such a cool blessing. It's such a cool blessing for me to go to India and to stand in a little village like Muthuramapuram where you guys have dug a well. And at the break of day to stand there and pray and just to see this line of 20, 30 women come with pots on their heads and they pump fresh water. Think that's not a blessing? Oh, it's such a blessing to get around the girls in the children's home in India or the kids down in Nicaragua. It's just such a blessing. You know what I'm talking about? 
So tithing is about being in this lane. He says, how have you robbed me? Well, how can you rob God, right? If he already has everything. See, here's the funny thing about tithing, is that the church doesn't actually need your money. Because God's the one who supplies it. The church doesn't actually need your money. You just need to give it. You need to give it, because that's what the Bible says. If I neglected this teaching, some of you would say, why do you have to talk about that at all? Because it's it's like praying. It's like worshiping. It's one of the disciplines that I have in my life that's just such a part of what it means to live in this lane. Now this passage says, if you don't do that, you're robbing God. How can you be robbing God? What are you stealing from God? Here's what I think you're stealing. You're stealing the avenue of his blessing. You're robbing him of his opportunity to show you the great things that he can do when you're obedient. Am I guaranteeing that you're going to get wealthy? Not at all. I, I tithe, have consistently my whole Christian life, and I find that when I give 10% to the church, I have exactly 90% left. Hmm. But look at the blessing. Look at the life I have. There's blessing in this lane. There's blessing in Jacob's lane. Esau's lane says, we're going to do this ourselves. We don't need tithe, smythe. All you want is our money. We don't want your money. We just want you to give it. It's so hard to start, but so easy to defend once you get going. So the question, I guess, is which lane do you feel like you're in? And are, if you need to change lanes, are you ready to change lanes? Because see, some people, they kind of try to live in the Jacob lane, but they hold like their money or something, their relationships, outside of the lane and say, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but I, I'm kind of holding those outside of the wall of the lane. You can't walk with Jesus like this. You can only walk with Jesus like this. It's 100% yours. Yes, she's yours. We're yours. We will live the way you call us to live because we're yours. Is it time to change lanes? Some of you, you know, maybe you're way over in this lane and you're going dead end ahead, right? This lane ends. The Bible says it is appointed unto every man wants to die, and after that the judgment. This lane will end. By faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord of your life, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, by not doing this, but just doing this, you're living in a blessing that you will never, ever, ever, ever regret. Father, we invite the present power of your Holy Spirit to come. And to move us over to the Jacob lane or in the middle of the lane or pull our hands in out of the windows or whatever it is we're trying to do, Lord, that isn't a full measure of the blessing that you want to pour out on us. I do thank you for every person here, Lord, and 
for the great generosity that they just sacrificially pour out on this church and have for so many years. Bless them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. As their brother and as their pastor, I pray blessing upon blessing on them. I pray, Father, for these last few minutes of our time together, if you could come and to help those who need to change lanes to change. Those who are stirred right now, say, I want to get in Jacob's lane. I want to get into the lane that Christ was in. I want to get to the lane of his blessing. I want to get into the lane that says, I have loved you. I have chosen you. I pray for that person, Lord, those people, and I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would draw exactly the response from them that will make this transaction happen, that they'll move. I pray that you'll give legs to their stirring now. I just have this to ask you, if you are a person who feels like you want to change lanes, that this is stirring inside of you, or you want to surrender some things that you're trying to carry into Jacob Lane that just won't work. You're realizing that now. You don't have to know how it's going to be fixed. You just say, I got to, I got to let go. I got to bring my hands in. And you'd like to change lanes or change your position in the lane. If, if you're being stirred in that way, please come. Get up from where you are. Come. I don't judge you. I don't try to figure out what's going on that you're working with. I just invite you to come. Let the Holy Spirit help you. Just do what you want when you get here. You can stand or sit or kneel or whatever you're comfortable with. There are actually 11 more of you who'd like to come. The Lord spoke to me in this service that there would be 14 people here who want to change lanes, who want to respond to this. going to wait a little while longer so that everybody who wants to can do it. And when you're up here, just kind of just talk to God in your heart for a little bit here. You just want to change lanes. Only you know what that means to you. I'm not going to ask you what it means. I'm not going to ask you what are we praying about. I'm just inviting you to come and have that opportunity. Just say, God, I want to change lanes. Praise the Lord. Come on up. Make yourself comfortable. Why don't you guys unhinge a chair? This lady and let her sit back down, okay? You don't have to stand up, huh?
Just two more people who are going, sure wish I could be as courageous as these people. Praise the Lord. We're going to sing two songs this morning. Yeah, I know what time it is. First song is for people who just want to change lanes. That's what this song, first song's for. The second song is to celebrate the love of God for those of you who clearly are already in the lane of Jacob. And it's a celebration song. You just celebrate that you are in the lane over which is written, I have loved you. Okay. So as we sing this first one, and I just have a minute with these guys, I just want to encourage you to sing the first one like you need to change lanes. Now that kind of faith.